At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit. This is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Elkanen. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel here with this guy, Joel Elkanen, and Dennis Dick, who is also here this morning. How's everyone doing? We get, we're going to talk Netflix today, guys. Netflix is pretty much going to be the, the main theme of the morning. Uh, they had the earnings out after the close. You've all seen them by now. There's a lot to break down from that report, so we'll talk Netflix implications from that report as well. Um We'll take questions from our chat. We'll talk about just the, the continued rotation out there. First back-to-back down days in, I guess, three weeks now. So there's uh, that to, to deal with. Um, and our, we have two guests on the docket today. First up, Sean Udall, which won this show at 8.35. He's from Quantum Trading Strategies. And then at 9, we got someone that I've been trying to get on for like a while. He's a hard guy to nail down. Chris Camillo from Dumb Money on YouTube will join the show at 9 o'clock. Talk about his trading. Uh, guys, how you doing? Joel, bring up your charts. How are we doing this morning? Uh, charts are up. Uh, we're in the red only by two and a quarter handles at 24 and a quarter. Some big levels on the up downside we'll uh, discuss later in the show will be the the key to whether or not this is just an eatsy-beatsy tiny little correction and we got some more work to do on the downside. Crude in the red by a buck oh three at 61.64. Uh, gold uh, making that attempt to get over 1800 once again we're up 520 at uh, 1783.60 silver back over 26 a uh, big level there for silver uh just been dancing right around there a couple highs right there at 2620 2630 and uh not all good in bitcoin land here today a uh, couple grand here oh I'm, my screen is freezing here. 54,555. Spencer, I got a little. Oh, there we go. There we go. A little screen. And now we got the Bitcoin. I don't know. It's going to hold 55,000. Sure doesn't look like it today. Uh, pretty much an earnings day, huh, Spencer? I mean, not uh, not seeing any big merger news or any big macro news. But uh, earnings is probably going to lead the way today. 
Yeah, is, is is anything even up this morning, Dennis? Uh, I mean, Turtle Beach we talked about is up, but that's not much. Turn. Just the IWM. It's just decided it doesn't care what the stocks are doing. It's going to rally no matter what. <laughs> yeah, crazy um, market yesterday. Obviously, significant sell-off. And we got a little bit of follow-through this morning because of Netflix, obviously. It could be worse. I'm actually surprised the market's holding up as well as it is, considering Netflix is down 46 points. So that's the good news. The bad news is we have technical levels breaking down a lot of stuff. Again, this is one of the ugliest bull markets I've ever seen because there was a stocks getting hit 5 7% yesterday, and the market's down slightly. Like the Boeing, Boeing is down 10% yesterday. Yeah, all because their CEO retired. Or was it ten percent yesterday? Maybe I'm wrong. No, CFO. was I right? It was my grade one math. I thought I saw it ten, 10 points, not ten percent. Ten points. Yeah, ten. Yep. They're yep. taking math from Joel here. Yeah, ten points. No, that's ten Nick. points. Actually, that's Nick's right. math. That was Nick's <laughs> math. <laughs> Nick, we love you. We're just with you. Um, yeah. So Boeing losing ten points. I mean, the reopening trade. Let's talk about this, Joel, because you actually sent that picture. You started this party here a week and a half ago, and you sent that picture <laughs> that Delta Airlines, which was empty. And you're like, I'm somewhat concerned about the reopening trade. <laughs> and you show me a picture of your flight and it was empty. I mean, let's look at these airlines. The airlines are not looking good. The Norwegian Cruise Lines, it gets an upgrade today from GS. So, you know, they're buying the dip, you know. But you look at all of this, casinos, cruise lines, um, obviously Boeing, you know, leading the charge down yesterday as well. Is the reopening trade, is this your opportunity to get back into these stocks? You know, you got the dip. Or is the reopening trade on pause? You know, it's such a different story when, you know, things are going up the first time, right? And you get some little pullbacks. Now with these issues getting back over the highs from February and March and failing, man, oh, man, I think you got to use those. You got to look for some pretty deep retracements. And uh, wherever you want to draw the move from, I mean, something like American Airlines, where'd we go from? We went from eight bucks, let's call it 26, right? Did we get up there? Oh, that's an easy one, 14.7. I mean, do you want to wait to the 15, $16 area? Do you think we're going to get that low? That's only four points away. And look what it did in a couple weeks. So, I think, you know, the J&J vaccine got back on the market. I think it just got a, you know, I'd be more to selling rallies into these than instead of reestablishing, uh, you know, some huge long positions. And I don't, I don't think it's, uh, I'm not worried so much about the, you know, the, the virus. I mean, Michigan's had some issues. Canada, boy, I, I, I talked to uh, a buddy in Vancouver and they cannot go like to the next county. No, that- it, well, I, I know Ontario rules, and we're in full lockdown here. Stay-at-home orders, full lockdown. Wow. You can leave your house for essential services. If you leave your house and you get pulled over by the police, I don't think they're actually pulling over cars, like just to check. But if you, you know, speeding or something, and then they ask you where you were going, if you weren't going on essential business, you can get a $750 fine. So we are in, like, we are as strict as we have ever been in Ontario. We're 14 months into this pandemic. And we are as strict as we have ever been. I don't know anybody that's got that fine. I don't know if the police are really enforcing it. I still see a lot of cars on the road. But if you're just, you know, actively just going about your business and doing things, um, you can get a ticket for that. So you're supposed this to. This is not a record. Yeah, this is not a recommendation. But can't your your car go or truck go faster than a horse? Huh? <laughs> Spencer, oh, both of us are lost on this one. No, 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 no. I, I got that. That was good, Joel. I didn't yeah. get it. 
It went right over my head. It's too early in the morning. The, Man, the this Mounties. hair is crazy, too. The Mounties is what he's talking about. Oh, and the Mounties. I know. That's, <laughs> they think they think we don't. I have, The funny thing is in Canada, I think we're all running around with mounted police. I've, there's no mounted police anywhere here. Maybe in Ottawa. <laughs> Maybe in Montreal, they have some mounted police. There is no mounted police. Maybe in Toronto, there's a couple of them. There's no mounted police anywhere around me. And there's no and mounted police in Windsor. It, and then how the about zero the mounted police? And, so and it's, a, it's a it's a it's a joke. It's a it's it's not really you know a police on horses in Canada. We actually we're not. First of all, you know we're we're not back in the 1900s. And yes, you know we are concerned about the environment. We haven't moved back to that. There's maybe some traditional, but the majority of our police have cars, and especially the ones that wear the caps like over their eyes. You know <laughs> that they wear those big things. Do I remember when I went to Ottawa? I, you know how they have the the guys standing out outside, you know the the parliament and stuff, and they never move. I was like, <laughs> I, I was trying, trying to, to make like, a move. I was trying to make a move. Yeah, yeah. They stand there. They can't a, blink. They just stand yeah. there. They don't move. You tickle them and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I might have had a, I might have had a squirt gun or something. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> but I, that would be you, Joel, squirting. <laughs> you take it to another level. You always have to take everything to the next level. <laughs> can't just leave it alone. You got to take it to the next. Level, like they're but. not supposed to move. So what do you have to do? You have to make them. Uh, you make them. Moral, move. moral of the story: Where we started this was the reopening trade. I can tell you, there's no reopening trade happening in Ontario right now. Is it going to happen in five weeks when this lockdown stops? I hope so. I want to get back to normal. I think the reopening trade is just on pause. I'm interested yeah. in the pullback. I sold all these stocks because they all ran too far. We talked about it. They had all run, you know, in Norwegian. I sold at $32. It just got silly. They were getting, you know, too much optimism price back in. So is this the opportunity to scalp back into some of these names? GS thinks so on NCLH. They're saying buy the dip um, and seeing uh, they're upgrading it this morning. So, I mean, I I think if you don't have any of these stocks, maybe take that opportunity to start adding them to your portfolio. But I'll tell you one thing is this market. Buying the dip in a lot of stocks has tough. not been working. It's tough. It has not been working. I've been trying swing longs. Day trading is still fine. You know, you're in and out. But, you know, saying overnight, you know, swing longs, looking, oh, I like the setup here. I think it's going to go up for the next week. And I get stopped out. I've been getting stopped out on a lot of swing longs. And not just, like I said, in tech stocks. Not just the growth names. You know, like we were trying, you know, some of the reopenings names, some of the different names. I mean, really, what is holding up this market? Is it all built on consumer staples now, like home, in the housing trade, Home Depot and Lowe's? Because there is a lot of stocks. You got all the growth names like the Kathy stocks that have been hammered. And then you got the reopening trades that have been hammered in the last couple of weeks, too. So you start looking through. The banks have come off the highs here in the last few days. They were holding us up. After Bank earnings. has been holding us up okay, but it's Honestly, starting to leak a little bit I here. Honestly, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, it's the Dow. It's like the Dow stocks. It's, it's like Caterpillar. The, the, yeah. But that's the infrastructure play. So, yeah. you know, and that's the money. Like Home Depot. Look at the Home Depot chart. I mean, that has been a source of ridiculous strength. Joel, look at this chart. How, like, this is ridiculous. This is just a straight up, like, you know, you don't get charts that look like this very, very often. Never. 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 Like, it's it just straight up you- new high every day, higher lows, higher highs, higher closes almost every single day. Now you get a little red candle. This is extremely chat this is extremely overbought home depot extremely overbought i want right to sell my lows i want to i want lows, to sell same my thing lows. they're an extremely overbought lows is up 30 percent a month i mean 
Yeah. Okay. Building materials are higher priced right now. Yes, everybody, it's spring and people are doing stuff on their homes. It all made perfect sense. But is are these stocks worth that much more or is it time to maybe think about ringing the <sighs> register? I really want to ring the register and <laughs> You got to oh, put your business God. plan together. I, I mean, when, but you know, here's the thing that I've had it for so long that my price is not even on the monthly chart because I think uh, I. So, say so then you have to pay the tax. Oh, the tax thing. Yeah, you're gonna have to pay taxes. Would I rather pay tax on Peloton? I don't ever at intend on selling some of my stocks. And so some some of these stocks I've had for a decade that I'm up. You know, five hundred or a thousand percent. You're not going to sell Google. I don't ever want to sell Google I, because I don't want to pay. I don't. Half of it's going to go to the government. I don't want to pay. I don't like in in the U.S. You have the long term capital gains. I guess you hold over a year, right? It's only fifteen percent of it taxed. Yeah. Am I right with that? Yeah. yeah. So that helps. In Canada, we're still fifty percent. So the capital gains is fifty percent, which sucks. So I guess you know you look at it, it's only fifty percent tax. So it's only a quarter of you know. So if you sell and you're making a hundred grand, you're only going to pay tax of twenty five. But still, I mean, it's I don't want to pay any tax. So I don't want to sell a lot of these ones that I'm way up in. Um, and you know, if you're going with the Warren Buffett approach, you're buying good companies. Maybe if you know you think the companies aren't solid anymore, but I still think Google's one of the best companies in the world. So why would I sell it? It's right. tough, right? But also, like the people that were that were in this in in, in the same boat, at the end of last year, were like, "Oh, I don't want to sell my ARC. I, I have to pay taxes on it." Um, you know? uh, yeah, it can be a mistake to not sell something to, to have to pay tax on. So, my trading, I pay a lot of tax. My trading portfolio, my day trading stuff is you know, every day, and that's all. There's no capital gain. It's a hundred percent taxed. So you know all the gains you make, um, obviously a hundred percent tax. It sucks. So you do as a trader have to pay tax. But as a long-term investor, I think you can have some core holdings. Like my SPY that I bought back during the financial crisis or my Qs that I bought back, you know, after the tech bubble crash, I, I'm, I'm averaged in. I, I, don't, I don't intend to ever sell the Qs. I'm averaged in. My average cost based on the Qs, I think, is $12. It's $335. Now, maybe it's higher than that. Maybe it's $30. $13. But it, yeah, but it's like and I'm up in $1,200, $1,300, $1,400% on the Qs. Why would I ever sell it? It's indexed. I mean, I don't see a reason to ever book that game, you know, and pay that tax because is the the queue's gonna, you know, in a in a best case scenario, you're paying the tax, then you got to get back in, um, you know, it's got to fall significantly for you to be ahead, you know, considering the tax implications. So certain things if you've held them for a decade and they're up a thousand percent, I don't know. I, I just think why why we're selling. Yeah, no, that's a it's a common debate, and I guess it just yeah. depends. I mean, you know, if you if you needed. You know, the money. And the other thing, you know, the way I look at it is, you know, some of these, uh, you know, SPACs, that, you know, your QS, would you rather, and you had that and had the opportunity to sell it at 120, and you're like, oh, I don't want to pay the taxes. And, and people are arguing the QS can fall 50%, and they might fall 50% again. But the one thing to consider is that the majority of wealth is a lot of wealth is still in the stock market. If the QS fall 50%, the market falls 50%. Well, everybody else is worse off as well, correct? I mean, for the most part, you know, because the majority of wealth is still tied up in the stock market. So, I mean, everybody else is going to be getting hit on that too. So everybody's wealth just kind of goes down together. The, The risk of always not being invested is that, you know, the markets take off without you. And, you know, everybody else is getting wealthier relative to you. And then inflation starts. I mean, this is really a worst case scenario 2020 was for people who were sitting in cash. 
because the market took off. Inflation happened all around you, despite them saying it's only 1.2%. And your money is just worth a hell of a lot less. So I, I think you've always, I think this should always be a core amount of your, maybe if you're 75 years old and you're retired, but even at that, it depends on where your net wealth is, I guess. But there should always be some of your wealth in the stock market. Yeah, of course. All right. So I don't think you ever uh, want to just liquidate to zero because trying to time that, like tough. try who who's who's time uh, like me and Joel called the top on the show a hundred times, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you think okay, this is it, and then it just goes higher. So it's really hard, man. Nobody knows. So you know, even though we're in Wall Street, you know, I trade for a living. I don't know where the stocks are going to go tomorrow. There'd be a headline happen. Maybe the Johnson and Johnson vaccine they get it back on, and maybe the real stocks <laughs> trade. <there. laughs> they are maybe, Dennis. What's that? They are. Yeah, I, I think so too. So no, it's I mean, already but, it's already been announced. They, they, they announced the correct answer. Yeah, I mean, just look at the stock chart. Well, they had earnings also yesterday, but just look at the chart. Yeah, yeah. you called that one yesterday, man. You said with the you know the the cheap. low, yeah, the the out the cheap. They make ten <laughs> bucks. The thing's trading with a P is sixteen. It's consumer staple. It's not going anywhere. I buy pullbacks from Johnson and Johnson. I wish I would have bought it yesterday. Can we talk Netflix here? Sure, we uh, got to talk Netflix. All right, so uh, earnings out. Uh, the numbers, the the the, the EPS, the revenue, you know, was fine. Whatever. Uh, that's not what we're, what we care about. We're talking about subscriber growth, okay, or lack thereof, I should say. Uh, this was always going to be the question, right? Last year was such a good year for Netflix for all these streaming companies. What would be the follow through going forward? Well, last quarter, Netflix gained just under. 4 million new subscribers globally, which is below their own guidance. Their own guidance was for 6 million new subs, and they actually uh, uh, gained about 4 million new subs. So they missed their own number there. Going forward, though, for the current quarter, the current the quarter we're in right now, they said we're, we might only gain 1 million new subs this quarter, which would be the fewest, if that's the case, would be their lowest num- uh, quarter of subscriber growth since 2013. If that ends up being the case. So, uh, Joel, uh, Luke says hi. He wanted me to tell you that. Uh, <laughs> one, one thing to consider is that both Netflix and Tesla, even though they're huge components in the queues, obviously, and um, they they aren't like this, you know, t- trade 20 times earnings, 30 times earnings. These things are still, you know, they kind of fit more into those, you know, very high-priced growth names, which those stocks have been out of favor so because there's such mega caps, though, they've been grouped in with the Apples and the Amazons and the Googles, which is growth at a reasonable price. Um, if they start to see separation and they start to follow the tracks where, you know, we've been selling stuff, you know, with ridiculously high PEs, then, you know, you get concerned about buying this dip on Netflix. Um, but, you know, buy the dip has worked in the past. You have some great support down here in 495. Yeah, this is here. It's not the kind of stock this market likes right now. Uh, it well, last earnings report, it had the gap and go. That lasted one day, folks. One day, the gap and go on the upside here from earnings. Uh, you know what? I think the trading day just just might be over here in uh in Netflix because this is <laughs> they're just gonna so, close the stock. There's nothing left. No, 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 no. I'm just I'm just looking at this uh this spike low. Right. Oh man, I gotta get out. I gotta sell my Netflix. Looking for bids, and we go to four eighty. You know, which is on. You know, and then everyone's like, "Oh, I got the five ten puts. I got the five twenty puts. I gotta, I gotta buy stock." And 
So they buy stock because they're just locking in the gains. And now they got the puts on and they bought the stock. And now they're just going to wiggle and dance and try and scalp as much as they can around that core position. So like at that 480, it just kind of feels safe to me right now. Um, and, and even on like on a decline, like I don't see us open up at 500 going 490, 480, 470, 460. Boom. And more is going to open up. It's going to meander. You're going to do some dip in under 500, obviously. Maybe get the 490 back up to 502 and just chop around. If you get above this, uh, this pre market high, 50510, you know, you can look for some more upside. You got a long ways to go to get back up. Like if you're looking for a gap fill today, folks, at 546.30, just forget about it. And, uh, Let's see it. A couple days, you hold this low, you consolidate. I think 500 is a big psychological number. I think people will say, oh, is this going to hold 500 today? Next day, few days there, and it just dipped under 500. And then if you can regain 500, you can do some work and go back up and fill the gap. But look how quickly they decided after the last earnings report. So that's my outlook for Netflix. I'm not buying it. I have no interest in buying it. I watch one show on it. It's not bad. It's cheap. I mean, well, the competition's know. coming too. It's the same True. story as Tesla. Netflix was the only place in town for streaming. Tesla's been the only place in town, you know, really for EV for a while, you know, basically the only place. Now, you know, we got major competition coming from Netflix. Disney Plus with the stars they add on there, they got a lot of stuff on there. Um, so, and you got all the other streaming services coming. It's the same thing with Tesla, all the other EVs coming for them. These are the same story Netflix and Tesla. You can almost pair them up together now because of the same story. The competition is coming for them. And it's funny. If you look at the charts, it kind of looked the same. So oh, they're um, also mega caps, Dennis. Yeah. And they're also mega caps. So they're kind of both fit into that. Don't you think that they both kind of have the same exact story, just different industries? Yeah. So a couple of things to think about with Netflix. And remember, they talked about this last year. And I forget if it was like Q2, Q3 or whatever, but they were like, hey, we're, we're, we're going to be like cash flow positive. We are not going to have to uh, issue any new debt. Like we are maturing as a company. What what does that mean? Um, it, it means you know maybe. And someone in the chat joked about this. Uh, I forget who it was now. Um, sorry. Someone we got a lot of jokers. In the someone chat. someone in the chat. Oh, Joey. Netflix better get into the dividend game. Well, like I mean, maybe right. If they're if they're going to be maturing as a company, then maybe they maybe that's like that's what happens here. You know, this was one of the biggest growth stocks of the last decade. Maybe they're not in that growth phase anymore. That being said, if I can just counter my own argument for a second here, yeah. um, should be a lawyer. If right, if if you think that Disney and and, and Hulu and HBO and and all these new streaming platforms, if you think that the rise of those platforms uh, takes away from the Netflix pie. I think that is 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 misguided. Um, a lot of people are simply just not like me. For example, just, I just, I don't have a cable bill. I'm not paying a hundred dollars a month for cable. So what does that mean? It means buy them all. I, it means I can buy them all. Mm-hmm. It means I can buy them all. And and I don't think the rise in HBO Max and the rise of Disney Plus that does not that does not it's not a zero sum game. Okay, there is room for everybody. Netflix is still the most subscribed to a streaming platform. They are still mm-hmm. the king. In the sandbox. And something else they said yesterday is, look, there was no production last year, right? There's not a lot of new content. Yeah, that's, it's tough, too. 
that's not a surprise. That's not unique to Netflix either. It's like it's like everyone is is in the in the same boat there. Uh, there's going to be new content eventually. Um, and and I I just don't see that many people really unsubscribing from Netflix and saying, oh, I I'm just going to do Hulu and HBO. Um, maybe some people are, but but I, I, on a large scale, no, no. I think Netflix still has the most amount of content. A lot of it's not good, but all, some of it is good. Uh, you know, I still watch Netflix. And uh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, no. So, so like, I, I think you know, the to Dennis's point about the rise in other platforms, the rise in Disney Plus. First off, it's easier to grow Disney Plus than it is to grow Netflix. So, you know, you go, you go from one to two million, you just doubled, right? Um, and yeah. and Netflix is to Dennis's point, I just had a had a, like a twelve year head start, right? So, yeah, they're maybe they're at a later phase uh, in, in their in their company's history. Maybe they're not a growth play anymore, but they're still the kings. If they're not a growth play, though, this stock price is going to come in. They've got to stay at growth price because what, what's the PE on Netflix? Like how much money did they just not insane? No, we talked about this yesterday. No, it's not, Dennis. It's not insane. The four- what is it? Well, I don't know what it is now, but like based on the close, it was like in the 50s. Well, is that right? <laughs> you know, I look at these. I, I mean, just going back Three to bucks, your, your Tesla Netflix analogy. Yeah, fifty, maybe fifty. I, I look at it totally different ways because to go out and get a new Tesla, you got to spend forty, fifty grand, yeah, right? And to go out and get, or I know they have cheaper models, but to keep, you know, even if things are, you know, you need to cut the, you know, cut expenses and stuff. I mean. Netflix. How much is it now a month? Like eight ninety nine or seven ninety? I don't even know. Uh, there's a couple. It's just a lot, you know. I see. It, you know, if I had to pick one to own of the two, just based on sustainability and not anticipated market share, then I don't. I'd want to own the Netflix over the Tesla. I do own a little bit of Tesla. Do want to sell it, but I just, you know, I just, I, I, I don't think it's going to be your superstar stock. You know, when they're going to run, maybe, I don't know if the all-time high is in or whatever. But, I mean, it's it's here to stay, and I just think it's just going to muddle along. And, and unless we get a huge market correction, I don't think you're going to get too killed on it. Today's a big day. Uh, see if we can hold the pre-market low. But um, Tesla's a different animal. It's all anticipation of everyone driving Teslas and everyone being in driverless cars and right. Going to space and batteries and everything—that's a lot of speculation. So, so I just want to clarify on the Netflix PE thing. Their their backward looking PE is is in the nineties, right? But their forward PE is is much more reasonable. It's like in the forties or fifties. So it's it's not as crazy as it's not as, as crazy as it was as, as you would think it is. It's grown it's, into a, to a right, certain extent, right? And the other, I mean, th- and we're looking at you know forward PEs on Apple and Google and stuff in the low twenties. Yeah, so, right. I mean, if you're going to eventually be valued <laughs> as a value play, that multiple could contract more. So that's just what, you know, the risk is. It, it, and obviously, it's it, you can say 50 or 60 is reasonable. Um, but, you know, really, if you're going all of a sudden, you're not going to have the growth that you did before and it's turning more into a value play. Those PEs often contract in the 25s and 30s. So, I mean, there could be some PE contraction. You think about a PE going from, you know, if you're going to the forward multiple of 50, and you know it's going to go down to thirty. I mean, that's a forty percent fall in the price of stock. So, um, you know, I'm what's not the difference that's between I'm the basic and the risk. standard? What's the difference between the basic and the standard? Um, it's probably just the number of accounts you can have. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, and the, the other thing this does too is it, it also lowers the bar. Don't forget, right? 
So now, so like Fubo was down, Disney was down. They're all down in sympathy with Netflix, but but this does lower the bar. Everyone was sort of wondering. Well, everyone before yesterday, we all assumed that a lot of the growth was just pulled forward like into last year, and now we know that 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 was the case. So the bar is lower for Disney Plus. The bar is lower for HBO Max. The bar, you know, the bar is lower now. The bar is lower for Fubo. Mm-hmm. Bar is lower for them when they report in the next month. Well, it better be lower. The stock in Fubo has went from $50 down to 18 now. So I would hope the bar is lower because the stock has been just hammered. This is one of the poster childs of it actually valuation now matters. And this stock where, you know, gave you the second shot. It had the ridiculous three-day pop from 30 to 60, which was just stupid. I actually held it through that, which was a big mistake. I just got greedy and I should have sold it all. Um, and then, you know, in the next week, it fell down in the, in the mid-20s. And then, you know, we got the re- pop back up late January, back up to try to make new highs. No. And now we're all the way back down. I don't know if there's a story here. There's still a story potentially coming. But holy mackerel, these stocks are out of favor. You can take this probably 500 stocks that look like Fubo. And it was all the hottest stocks from 2020. The growth names, the storied stocks, those are all just hammered. And you, you think, oh, yeah, well, eventually it's going to come back to 50 or 60. Well, the only way it comes back to 50 or 60 is if the story actually works out. And in a lot of these cases, these storied stocks, 90% of these cases, I'm going to say, is the story is probably not going to work out. You know, like the like we've been talking about the EV plays. There was just too many of them, too many EV SPACs, 100 of them, you know, really, when you, when you, when you go through it. They're not all going to work out. So maybe one or two are going to work out. Try to find, you know, we are now... We can officially say that the EV stocks all, you know, the bubble burst, the bubble burst and all of this stuff. There's absolutely no doubt, you know, is there a bubble? There was a bubble in January, February. The bubble has officially burst. When stocks fall 60, 70%, you can look back in hindsight and with 100% accuracy say, yes, the bubble burst. So the question is, does that bubble reinflate at some point in time? Do you get your money back in the clovers even? You can, you know, we're moving away from the EVs, but just looking back at the SPACs. Or do some of these stocks just continue to leak because there's so many bag holders in there? Just like yesterday with Clover, you know, and I said it was $10. And I said, I think you're going to look it back at this in a couple of months. And you're going to see it back down under 8 And you're going to wish you would have sold it. The very next day, <laughs> it goes down and it's, it's back in the 8s. I didn't anticipate it getting all back basically, you know, the next day. But this is just the market we're in. It's why I lighten up my Fisker position yesterday. I had a full-size position in Fisker. It got the nice pop-up, got into the mid-14s um, on the Bank of America upgrade. I'm like, no, there's too many bag holders in here. I'm like, I don't think it's going to get above 15. You nailed I that. should have maybe sold it all, but I was like, I still kind of believe in the story. And I got to have something. I mean, I can't just go to zero growth in my portfolio because I'm going to regret that. So there's a few stocks I still want on a piece of, but I was like, I'm lightening up the Fisker. For one, because I don't know. You know, I think there's a good story here. I think there's going to be revenue stream, but it's a way, it's a ways away. You know, that deal with me, they may not be producing cars for another couple of years. Is the market going to wait that long? Or is this thing going to go down under 10, 9, 8, 7? Um, I was uncomfortable with the size of my position, so I, I got down to a smaller piece on Fisker. At, at what point would you would you buy more? Like, at, like uh, you know, 50, 15? Uh, I will tell you. In my long-term investment portfolio, my day trading portfolio, my swing trading portfolio, there are very, very, very few times that I will ever add to a loser. No, no, it is like a cardinal sin. I'm not saying add to a loser. I'm saying it like on the way up. You know what I mean? 
I'm saying maybe like, if it started to come back and I thought the story had turned around, I, that might be the case. But if it's continued to leak down to 10, I absolutely am not buying more. That is the wrong move. It is the wrong move to average down on anything, on an investment, on a trade. You will regret that way more than you will be happy with that. The stocks will come back a lot of times for you. And like I said, I got some stories from bright traders. Joel, you know this, you know, going back to the trading. When you add to the loser, more often than not, you get your money back. But those times that the stock continues to go down just absolutely murder you. Or you know, up. Murder you. Murder you. Because, or, you know, if you add once, you probably add again. And you add again. We were talking, you know, about the buddy, you know, and we won't say his name. But, you know, it was Nortel Networks. And it was $120 and it went down to 60 And they're like, well, it's this is the biggest company in Canada. You know it's coming back eventually. And he's backing up the truck buying Nortel at 60 and then it went down to 30. It's like, well, it's not going to zero, so I'm going to buy more. No, Where did Nortel we'll, go? And well, actually, actually, we he we got him out of a lot of the position. I can't remember if it was like 70 or 75, but he said he was holding 100 shares. Oh, so he only held a piece. But there's other horror yeah. stories where where people oh, – yeah. I, I we watched the one I watched this one person behind me at Bright Trading. This is where you know we're 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 experienced. You know I'm I'm not going to say we're not experienced. We are experienced. This is why we're telling you we went through bear markets twice. I went through the financial crisis and I went through the tech bubble burst. Back during the tech bubble burst, I watched a person. I've never seen somebody blow out their account this fast. They come in with Bright Trading. They come in with fifty thousand. Came in with fifty thousand. Bought one stock. Went margined up right away, and um, on day one, I think it was. I can't remember. Do you remember the stock? It was a person behind me. It was a girl. It was a person behind. I know. Me. I know. And um, I, I forget the stock. I wouldn't. It might have been even AMD. Wait, I think so it was AMD. Well, they're claiming with fifty, so they had a hundred. Well, no, well, not a break trading. You can put a lot more than 100 right, because yeah. we, we let you go. Obviously, you're playing with firm capital. So this is the whole point of break trading. You get way more than two to one. Okay. But they put a heavy amount into AMD at 42. The stock gapped down the next morning to 40, and they like quadrupled down. So they went like, you know, from 50,000 in it to 100,000 in it to like 300,000 in it. The stock went down like four points the next day, and they blew out their account. It was a two-day blowout. They literally lost the entire $50,000. Um, that's averaging down. That's all the wrong things to do. A day, two days blew out your account. I've never seen that. A trader comes in, funds, writes the exams and everything, blows out their account in two days. I've never seen that happen before. It was just, you know, all the cardinal sins though. Okay, the stock's down. I cannot sell at a loss. Heaven forbid I sell at a loss. And then they not only add to it, they add to it multiple times on the way down. The stock goes down 10% and they're done. They're done. And I mean, this is just, you know, I've been in this business for 20 years, I've made millions of physical trades. The reason that I make money every single year is not because I'm looking, you know, it's because of my risk management. It's the only thing that matters is discipline, cutting the losses, averaging down, coming in and averaging down on a losing position is a cardinal sin. Gartman says a lot of things wrong. He says that absolutely right. You absolutely at no cost add the losers. Cartman. And, you know, and you're going to yeah. say, oh, yeah, but I did add this loser and it came back. And they will come back because when you bring your cost basis down, you have a better chance that it's going to come back. But those couple times it doesn't come back really do damage to your portfolio. It does damage to your psychology. And in some cases, extreme in cases like the person behind me, they blow out their account. I never add to losers. That's a good lesson here. It's 836. Oh, it's bringing on Sean Udall. 
from Quantum Trading Strategies. Sean, tell us about how you add to your losers or not. Good morning, Benzinga. Love us. Good morning, though. He's always okay. So, at five in the so morning. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something, and and Please. Dennis may totally disagree with me, but I totally disagree with you. Just what he just said in the right context. So he's coming from a context of I have to be a prop trader and make money most weeks, most months, most years. I would say I don't know. So I, you know, I had a lot of clients back in the day. I was part of a team, had a book, managed $350 million. From an investment perspective, I can't think of very many people that followed the I never averaged down to a loser rule that ever did well investing. So I think you have to separate time frames. I think I think Dennis would totally agree with this. So if your if your time frame is a Bill Miller time frame, a Warren Buffett time frame, or and those two guys probably own stuff longer than anybody. I have a pretty long time frame relative to most traders because I trade and I invest. But uh, I can't think of that. I mean, there's no I can't think of a billionaire momentum investor. Not one. There's lots of billionaire investors. There's there's tons of them. Um, but I can't think of a billionaire momentum trader. I can't think of one. So so I think I think if you're a prop trader, you have to manage risk. You can't get blown out. Average into a loser's poor. Uh, I don't know. Average into losers is kind of how I made, I made a lot of money my whole life. So, but I think, but, but, but Sean, but like when you go into a position, let's say stock ABC, and you're, let's say you're going to put twenty thousand into it, you might, you might put five thousand in at one time, and then another five thousand, then another, you know, based it, you know, on your technical analysis, right? It's not like, oh, I'm putting twenty in this, and this is it, and then it gets cut in half the next day, and you're yeah, so, another twenty. So there, there's three there's easy different. rules. Yeah. There's three Spoons easy are rules. getting ripped here for some oh, reason. I don't know, Dennis. Are you seeing? Sorry to interrupt you, Sean, but we're really losing an altitude over here, Dennis. Did we get some selling balances? Yeah, there is. There's a few here. Okay, I'm sorry, it's Sean. Crazy. Okay, yeah, this is right. a good conversation. I want to hear what Sean says. It's, it's a great, it's a great conversation because really, what the what Dennis and I are talking about more than now. If I was trading at a prop shop. And I mean, I could have, I might someday, I probably won't probably do hedge fund or something. But if I was trading a prop, I don't think I would ever average to a loser either because that doesn't fit the risk parameters of that trading style at all. I, I, in fact, I don't know if I'd add to many winners either. I think I'd do, I'd have my trading strategy, my systems, and I'd trade each trade as a distinct trade and enter it, you know, enter it, exit it, et cetera. So that's kind of how I do option positions, frankly. I, I don't. I almost never add to an option trade. I view it as, look, I'm either going to make money and the risk reward is such I can lose 100%. So I never do an option trade that I can't make at least four, five, ten times. Because the, you know, I, I know a lot of guys who will sell options and after they make 50, 75, 100%. It's like that's kind of backwards trading. So anyway, I don't want to get spend too much time on this, but I, I, I think I just think Dennis's comment needed a caveat. I yeah, think I think I is, can. I think I can get on board. Is if like what Joel was saying, you're coming in, you kind of like this company is going to put a little piece to work, and then it's going to come in and put a little more piece to work. And as long as you're staying diversified and not on yes. margin, and yes. if you're loaded up on margin, you know, like you're two to one, and you're adding, like 
and, and obviously, you know, and you're, you're getting like 20, 30, 40% of your portfolio in one position. That's where you're going to have trouble. If you've got one, 2% of your money or 5% of your money in any given stock, you'd probably be okay. I mean, it, you know, exactly. so maybe, and, and I've added, I shouldn't say, I've, I've added the losers before. It usually works out bad for me. Though. So it's very rare say, that I add you, you never added to Facebook. You never added to Twitter. You never added to Johnson and Johnson. You never added to Pfizer. I, you never added uh, to a bag. Probably not. I, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I'm not a big, but, but, you know, but investing, you know, maybe it, obviously I'm a trader. 99% of what I'm doing is trading. Sure. Um, so I definitely, probably get this cloud of trading over me and you know you're 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 on the opposite end of the spectrum you're taking longer term trades swing trades even long-term investing trades so yes. i mean there, this this having this difference of opinion is not surprising because we're in completely different time frames so i and think it. i think it's you a have good to, point you, you have made. to manage the risk to the time frame of your trade if you don't manage it so here here's what a lot of people here's so here's i think pretty much i'm going to paraphrase what dennis is saying if my time frame was I'm going to put money in DM, desktop metal. Bill Miller talked about it yesterday, so I want to talk about it today. So if I, if I want to put money in that, but I need that money in five days, guess what? I'm not even put. I'm not even going to put money in desktop metal. Yeah. In fact, if I need the, that money in five days, there's no way in hell I'm putting that money in any stock. Period. Okay. So so. And yet I see lots of people say, oh, you know, I'm gonna, I, I need money in a month. What can I what can I do to make money in a month? So anyway, we can talk about all the dumb things people do. But but the bottom line is you have to manage the risk of your position by the time frame of your position. Good now, now and, and the, the other thing, too, I don't I, maybe this is something that's obvious to me. I will not go like I will only average down so much. Now, hey, there have been positions I've, I've probably bought 20 or 30 times in my life. But but if I'm buying them more and I'm averaging down or sometimes I'm averaging, I actually prefer to buy on the way up. We've talked about that before. I like, I like turns. I like chart curls and things like that. But, but if I bought it 20 times, it's probably, I probably have sold it 10 or 15 times. So what I do is I have a position limit. Like I will not take anything above a certain size. doesn't matter how cheap it gets, whatever. Like once I've said, Oh look, okay, I've bought X number of shares in this thing. I'm done. So either either that thing is going to work or I cut it eventually. So but but yeah, I think it was literally a perfect time to come on because Dennis yeah. like, anyway, I, it I sounds think like you have very specific rules for yourself though around very that specific. And very I think that's specific. a good point you're making too. This is just a good education. All of this stuff should be cut because it's just a good education, all of this. But um, you've got to have specific rules and you've got to stick to those rules. And when you start breaking those rules is usually when you're going to get yourself into trouble. So, right. you know, whatever it is, those specific rules. Some people like, you know, if I'm having a bad day, day trading, they stop for the day, get their class, you know, and I, I get that. I don't have that rule myself, but I mean, I get it. If you're not thinking straight, take a walk, you know, take a break. You know, there's all different right. rules with trading that go around it. And psychology, the trading psychology, Sean, you know better than anything, too. That affects you more than, you know, and it can affect your performance more than in anything else. I mean, if you're not confident, you're going to hesitate on this good idea that somebody's given you or you've got you've come up with and you're going to miss out. And then, you know, it goes on you and you're like, oh, man, that idea went. And then you just jump on the next idea and maybe you don't do your due diligence as well. So training That's psychology right. is everything. Well, here, in fact, I'd go so far to say usually people I meet either, you know, via voice, person to person, or just meeting through internet texting and things like that. 
I hate to say this, but I can usually tell if people are going to have initial success just from their, from their, how they act, how they talk, what their mindset is, things like that. For sure. So there's, there's, it, it, it's kind of like zone performance in athletics. If, if it's, if you've never been in the zone in an athletic event, it's very hard to get in. A, I would say it's very hard to get in the zone uh, trading. So, so what, whatever you have ever been in the zone in your life doing, that is the, that is when you're going to trade your best. So anyway, I talk a lot about zone performance and things over the years, but, but yeah. So, so the bottom line is, uh, what, what, what were the three rules? We started off that road and then we, we oh, got away. From well, that. I don't know if I have, I have a bunch of rules, but, but one, <laughs> one rule. So, so on a position by position basis, one rule, like, first of all, I, I never sell, like, I, I would never even buy half of something. Probably the most of something I'd ever buy is a quarter to a third. Uh, and that was probably year. I, I probably don't even buy a third of anything anymore. I might buy a quarter once in a while. So, so Wait, first of all, do you, but, mean, you know, that, do, you, do, you mean, do you mean that, that when you're, when you're buying something, you, you buy what you intend to buy? That's like your full. No. So, so let, let, let's say the maximum position. So I'll just use a fit. Let's say maximum position size is 5,000 bucks. Sure. Okay. I'm going to buy 500 to a thousand max initial. Okay. And, and, you know, sometimes then that, that doesn't mean I'm going to take it up all the way to the, to the max size either. A lot of positions I never really take up to a max size, but the bottom line is one, never buy the whole thing at once. I'd never even buy half like Dennis talked. Hey, guy came in, bought half. Then he, 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 he basically loaded up other half. He was done in two days. Yeah. So I don't even, I don't even buy a half and I, I would never buy a whole position at once. So, so one, I never start with the full position Two, certain things kind of have to happen for me to add to it. Uh, I mean, there's a very complex thing. I don't, I don't add to most losers. I, I'm very specific to the ones to add to, but the biggest thing is just have a limit, have a limit of how much you will be in any one position, have a limit, how much you'll be in any one sector. Have a limit. Have a limit. How much you'll be in specs. Have a limit. How much you'll be in specs. Have a limit. How much you'll be in options. Basically, yeah. there's there's an old thing called the pyramid, right? There's an investing pyramid. You could look it up on Google. You you want the mo- a big chunk of your assets in stable stuff. Then you want less amount of money in stuff that's still good but less stable. Then you want the least amount of your money in the in the most volatile stuff. Most people turn the pyramid backwards. They put the 70% of their money in ultra aggressive stuff. They put 20% of their money in sort of, oh, hey, I still like, even though Twitter's high, I still like it type stuff. I mean, Twitter's kind of risky up here, but it's probably going higher long term. And then they put 10% of their money in the ultra safe stuff that can still return super, super well. So they're, they're, look up the investing pyramid. That's a huge help. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, people get caught up in stuff. I'm going to transition here. People get caught up in stuff. I, when Kathy Wood and Art started posting their trades, I literally said, I said that I've said this multiple times. I said, this is going to lead to a ton of retail losses. And here's why. Exactly to Dennis's point. Kathy Wood literally might buy something 700 times. Yeah. Somebody, if somebody's joking at that comment, that's not a joke. She, yeah. she might buy a stock 200 trading days of a year and buy a 200 trade. She literally might buy a position 400, 500, or 700 times. Yeah. There is, I don't care how much money any retail investor has. Nobody can buy a position 700 times. 
So first of all, if you're trying to emulate somebody like her, you shouldn't even try in the first place because you're not going to be able to average in 700 times. By the way, the least she's going to buy something is probably 50 to 75 times. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's conservative estimate. So nobody is going to buy something 75 times and nobody has her holding period. Plus, nobody has money coming in the door every day to their account. She has money coming in all the time. That's a great point. So so the the bottom line, this the whole thing with art putting this stuff, I'm just like, and and literally, hey, I was in skills before her. I, I really didn't like her buying skills. I was in DraftKings before her. I did not like her buying draft. Everybody's like, oh, it's great. She's buying. No, I, I just, anyway. So, but I've made a bit, I've made mistakes. I should have unloaded stuff. I, I sold big chunks of everything, but guess what I didn't do? I didn't sell all. Sometimes you got to sell all. I didn't sell all. I have a very hard time selling all, by the way. I don't, it's a strength of mine lots of times, but it's a, in markets like this, it becomes a weakness because you can like something a lot. And when when you get a sector specific crash, which I believe we're having, you, fundamentals go out the window. Fundamentals and, and stuff like SPACs and specs and and biotechs that that might not matter for six months from now. So anyway, the bottom line is that you have to be really careful. If you can't emulate what somebody else is going to do, you have to be really careful adopting. Up, cherry picking their strategy. That's the word I would use. You have to be very careful doing that. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to mention that though, because I think people kind of forgot how we got into this moment. And the arc, at, the arc post in their trades was a big, was a big part of what I believe is the speculative run that we've had the last four or five months that basically has crashed. I think the average back is probably down 55 to 70% uh, as we speak. Sean, there's not a lot of people that can argue with me and then make me change my opinion 10 minutes later, but I think you did make me change my opinion. I'm still sticking to my rules on trading, but from a long-term, a long-term investment Whoa. aspect, you were spot on. If you're coming in and only putting like a Kathy 0.05% of your portfolio into one stock, you know, or you're putting, you know, one one thousandth of what, if you're, you're intending to buy it 100 times or 50 times, you absolutely can average down in those positions because you're only doing it. You know, Kramer says the same thing. Buy a quarter, buy another quarter, buy another quarter. So, you know, there is a point to be made there. If you're intentionally coming in, though, I think the point where I was going was if you're coming in with your full-size position then just averaging down because, you know, you are losing money and you need to bring that cost basis down, I think that can get you in no. trouble. Oh, you can't. You can, Again, if I was in a prop seat, I would never average down anything. Again, I'm not sure I'd average up either. I think I think I would have kind of I don't either. I, I just kind of I'm in or I'm out. There you <laughs> go. I, I would each each trade would be a distinct trade and I would manage it. And it's either a, it's either a winner or a loser. Boom, done. What's the next trade? That's how I do prop. So and I've never been tra- training prop that prop. That just sounds logical to me. But Sean, we got to get we got to get uh, this is a incredible discussion and Yo, I, fire I, away I, yeah you gotta you you gotta talk about these specs now uh i'm calling the spack bottom calling the spack bottom oh, nice oh boom on yep. the show which backs though is the question because <laughs> some of these backs are probably not gonna bottom sean which ones well so 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 there's an i there's such a thing as an ipo cycle so in any i in every IPO cycle, typically the first IPOs that come out in the cycle are the best IPOs. That's all market wisdom right there. So I, there's lots of people. I, I haven't analyzed a new SPAC in a long time because 
they're the of the new one when i do look at a new one i'm like well this ain't as good as desktop metal this this isn't as good as mile this isn't as good as open so i mean i can look at these things in five minutes and just and you kind of say this is just like the ipo cycle hey when splunk and workday and service now came out they were great at the tail end of that ipo cycle in 2014 there were a lot of very mediocre software companies that came out so so uh, let, let's talk about bill miller he was on yesterday, talked about Mile and Desktop Metal. And Bill, guess what? Bill Miller was not part of the part of the part of the the bubble. He wasn't he wasn't out there pied piping these stocks. He wasn't out there posting trades. He wasn't trying to pump them up. Uh, I'm not saying Ark was trying to pump anything up. I just think that disclosure thing is, is probably going to have to be re- repealed in some way. But anyway, well, it, the, it, it, she's not maybe trying to do it, but it does pump her stocks up. No, you know, she, I don't think she's trying, but I just up. think that's a real. Basically, I think it's a policy mistake by Ark. They'll probably have to walk it back. But anyway, Bill Miller is was not trying to pump these these up. He mentions it because guess what? He tends to talk about stuff that he might be down in or he thinks is cheap or he thinks there's a good opportunity. By the way, we've talked about Vroom too. Vroom's not a SPAC. Vroom, I've talked about Vroom a ton with my subscribers. It's one of my uh, mini-me Carvana plays that I like. So the bottom line, though, the early SPACs, I think, are where you look. In the early part of the SPAC cycle, too, I think you could buy pre-deal SPACs and do okay because when they announced the deal, a lot of the deals were actually really attractive. And the stocks popped. I think it's pretty dangerous to buy pre-deal SPACs right now when you can go buy an existing SPAC for pretty cheap prices, especially relative to highs. Now, the highs, you kind of got to know enough to take the highs out. But if you just want to talk about mile, that that's probably like one of the most – that thing has never really traded good. Like it was never a hot SPAC, which is one thing I like about it. It's It's got – it's pretty disruptive – they got a lot of technology. I have a long history. Of, I followed Mile a long, long time when they were really, really pre-IPO. I'm talking like, I'm talking like 2010 to 13, I think. So the bottom line is, so I know about the company. I know about what they're doing. I know about insurance math. So that's one. It makes sense that somebody like Bill Miller would be interested in. And again, I'd rather have Bill Miller behind me than Ark, frankly. So. So that's one. Uh, skills is very controversial. I think let just let, let skills report, see how they do on their report. I think if they report good, they already pre-announced the report. So I'm not sure they're going to announce a further beat. It's it's probably more about the guidance for them. But that was a name I liked a lot. Again, I sold it. I sold it. I didn't sell all. Would you rebuy it all at twelve here? I mean, the stocks went from forty-five to twelve. It's massively oversold. There's no doubt it's massively oversold. I would. I don't know. It's. I need that one. Okay, this is one of my rules. It's acting so bad. I. 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 I'm not a seller here, but I'm not a like. I got to see the technicals improve because sometimes here's the problem with skills. It might be a good buy, but what if it does what Splunk did in 2014, where Six months later, it it recovered about 30, 40% of, 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 of its health storm it had at the time. By the way, 2014, 3D printing smashed, biotech smashed, every single hot software at the stock, at the software stock at the time smashed. I mean, we're talking Workday, Splunk, Now, CRM. Some of them were down 65%. CRM probably was down 25, 35%. But a name like Workday was down, I believe, 50 to 65% from the top in 14 to its low. So the problem with some of these things, you get sucked into them. Do you want to hold them and have them do nothing for six, seven, eight, 
nine months. So you got to, again, you got to know, look, if you're buying them, you got to have money to still do all the other trades you want to do. I, I would say, so Joel, I, what was that? I'm trying to think where uh, I, I sent Joel a, a kind of a top five. DM was one of them. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, Romeo is a spec. So honestly, right here, right now, I'd probably rather, if I'm going to trade something ugly, be, meaning before a chart turn, I'm kind of waiting for chart turns on all of them. But if I'm going to trade something ugly, I'm probably going to take a flyer on on like the EV SPACs. And the reason is they're just so damaged. They're so hated that you you almost have a p- p- potential to get lucky, meaning it it's not going to take much of a story to get them to pop. So I think from a trading perspective, you could catch a really good trade if, if you know, if you're right or if you get lucky or, or a combination of both. But the interesting thing about Romeo, so I can talk about that one a little bit. Yeah, let's talk as about bad it. as that revenue number was, the bookings number was very good. So, again, these are venture capital stage companies. Another problem, like why, why did none of us – why were none of us able to buy Airbnb for 20 years? Because Wall Street treats venture stage companies so bad when they IPO because they, they're not consistent yet. They're not steady eddy performers. So what happens is they come out, they grow great, but Wall Street just can't get a handle on it. And then they get so attacked and so vilified and the price, the price performance is so damaged that guess what? If you can get funding for 10 years and you don't have to deal with Wall Street, you, you end up staying private. Forever, and you go from being a, 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 a hundred million to half a billion to ten billion, and get that's why we have these IPOs that come out at forty billion, eighty billion, hundred billion dollars. Honestly, I would have liked to have bought, bought Coinbase a few years ago, not now. So I'd have liked to buy Airbnb in two thousand fourteen, not now. So guess what's going to happen after the SPAC cycle? We're going to go back, and get, all the best companies are going to stay private for a decade. And none of us are going to get a chance to buy really good growth on the cheap because they've just all been tortured in a public market. Excuse me. That's that's trading all time highs. And the SPACs are in their own sort of secular sector crash. So, well, hey, people get what they want. If you're going to treat these companies this poorly, they're not going to give you a chance to invest in them again. So, but anyway, that's more of a long tail discussion. I, I want to get a couple I, stock picks for, before sure. you go. Give give us your sure. three favorite spacks at these prices because they're all on sale right now. Give I us mean, they could be packs. there could be fifteen. I'm going to say okay. a mile. <laughs> oh. Well, no, give no, I'm 15. just saying. Nah, I'm just saying there, there's so many. That it's a group trade, so I think okay. everybody would agree it's a group trade. Okay. So once you get a few bouncing. You're gonna have a big. You're gonna have a bounce in yeah. probably forty or fifty of them. But yeah. from a quality perspective, durability perspective, I, I like open a lot. I really do. Now, I I can't. I don't know if it's bottomed because the chart hasn't showed me it's bottomed. But the reason I like open is it has nothing to do with the chart. Again, it came out early. I I think open is going to come back later on and go. You know, we probably should have done an IPO instead of instead of this back deal. But the SPAC got open at a very, very favorable valuation. I think I think open only trades like two or three times sales right now. And that's that's on a sales number that they purposely reduced, meaning they sort of wanted to streamline their business and be a little bit, frankly, more rational, smarter, <clears throat> not go after everything. So their revenue number is much lower now than it was a couple of years ago. Their growth is going to be good. By the way, every house that Zillow, Open, Redfin, any house that these guys have bought for 
two, three, four quarters, their people are now paying over ask offers on stuff all over the country. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, you don't, you know, open and Redfin don't, op- they don't operate in poor real estate areas. They kind of only operate in, I would say, you know, the better areas of the country. So that's one I think that I think the next few quarters could have good. Again, I was all over Redfin as a 15 to a $20 stock. Yep. I kind of think open, open is Redfin part two. Um, you're basically buying a really well-heeled best of breed house flipper. So here long term, they have to be careful what they buy. So that, let's talk about desktop metal. Yeah, Sean, I, I, I got to wrap it up though. So hurry it up and give us yeah. the picks and then, and then we'll wrap it up because I have an yeah. idea. So let's talk about desktop DM. metal real quick. So DM. DM. So, so 3D printing is lots of controversy. Triple D, SSYS, et cetera, et cetera. I think what's going to happen. So now 3D printing is basically called additive manufacturing. I think desktop metal. So in other words, the companies that were the early 3D printers will probably be out innovated and out, you know, disrupted by the current set of, uh, you know, 3D printing companies. So DM is one of them. So that's one. Won't get into numbers. You got numbers are out there a long time ago. And then I'll just I'll just wrap up with Mile again. There's there's a, I do like fintech SPACs in particular. Like so POE right. Uh, that would be yeah, exactly that would be one eToro's one uh, VIH is one. But the thing about Miles interesting again, it's never been hot. It's never been hot. It's always kind of been tainted. People don't understand the numbers. It's a lot like Root. Uh, I think Root's probably a better company between the two. But anyway, I like both of them. But Miles is interesting to me because it's always been cheap. The deal was pretty rational, and it's super beaten up. And and again, I got Bill Miller. And, and Bill Miller, when he decides to own something, he usually kind of makes a thesis and sticks to it and then let, let the results talk. So anyway, th- th- I think those are three good ones. I think I would say, though, look at the early ones. Look Now, here's ones I don't like. I don't like QS. I still think that's dangerous. CCIV, I love the look of the Lucid Par. But isn't that still a 30 or $40 billion market cap even after coming down this much? Right. So I, I think CCIV trades – now, this is post-deal valuation, which, again, you have to know. But I think this thing trades at roughly like half the market cap of GM. That, I don't know. That just seems too expensive to me. So I'd, I'd rather go with the the super hated – something super hated like a Romeo. Okay. Now, and that's that's like an option bet. It may not work, but if it works, it's going to go three, four, five-fold. All right. I, I do want to wrap it up with Sean. I want to get our next guest, guest thoughts on this. So, guys, smash the like for Sean Udall. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Later, guys. Yeah, maybe we'll get awesome you on the late show to, to follow up on a few sure. more of these. I'll, I'll send you an email. People, okay. People yeah, you got it. Sean. People want more Sean. I want to get Chris Camillo's thoughts on this as well. Chris is the host of Dumb Money on YouTube. Uh, Makes some great, great trades. Chris, good morning. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Do you, do you have thoughts there? Yeah, we're talking SPACs apparently. Do you, do you have you have thoughts? Yeah, man, it's 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 a decent sized part of my portfolio. It's it's underperformed for everyone. I, I think your last guest kind of nailed it um, in that it is a sector trade right now. They're getting treated as a sector, which is you know, kind of ridiculous, but uh, it presents opportunities. Um, you know, I, I have a bunch of EV SPACs. You know, you know from Lithium America to you know, NGA, uh, like, you know, just, just, just the commercial, the commercial truck EV companies, 
I, I think they're all interesting at these levels, right? I liked them before. I like them more now. I haven't really added much because I was in them pretty heavy before. So it's it's been it's been a rough few months, but yeah, they're 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 they're, they're quality names. The, the the market's just not interested in them right now. So you just got to sit on them. So baby with the bathwater kind of throwing it out here. What are some of the quality names that you like better? We were just asking Sean. He gave us three or four picks. Obviously, there's like a hundred to choose from. Which ones do you think are like been thrown and beat up enough that you may be interested, or if you weren't in, in them already, maybe you'd be interested in getting? Like in I them. said, I don't think you have to look too hard. I think the EV sector in general, personally, I prefer to stay away from the consumer names in the EV sector. So CCIV comes with a tremendous amount of risk, right? Like there's all kinds of questions there as to how successful you know, the launches are actually going to be where if you go to some of the commercial bus providers, right, you go to like the NGAs, right, Line Electrics, uh, Lithium America is just more of the secular uh, trades there. I think EV is, it's obviously here to stay. Um, you'll have winners and losers in the consumer sector, in the commercial sector. It's less about winners and losers and more about how long it takes for those guys to really start seeing the tailwinds of EV and government support, right? And and that's not going to happen overnight. It might not happen for years. So for me, it's a longer term, longer term trade. Fair enough, fair enough. And and you're not something we talked about earlier is is you're not averaging down. You know, you're not averaging down in any of these as they come back to you, right? You're just I mean, sort- for, for for me, it's it's opportunity cost. It's not that I wouldn't average down. It's that yeah. there's other opportunities. I'm, I'm focused in other sectors. Uh, for those of y'all that watch Dumb Money, you know I'm generally pretty leveraged, right? So so I'm already pretty leveraged across the board. Recovery trades are probably the biggest part of my portfolio the last four, five, six months. So uh, I'm levered in really deep there. So it's an opportunity cost of, you know, do you take money off the table on a trade that you think short-term is going to perform for a trade that you have less conviction for short-term, which is the SPAC recovery, uh, that you have better conviction in longer term. So for me, I kind of hope SPACs stay down at these levels another four to six months. Right? So, like I would love to see them stay down there so that when I actually some of my other trades are fully, fully digested, I can kind of move that cash over. So so where where are you focused? I saw you tweeting about Dogecoin. Is that where you're focused? No, I mean, I, I, that's, that's such, it's, I, I, I joke like Doge is one less than one tenth of one percent of my portfolio yeah um you know it's a it's a fun thing i have some i have some cash and nfts i have you know ridiculously small amounts of money and stuff like doge but it's really not part of my primary uh <laughs> primary portfolio they listen yeah. the, the, the doge trade was one I, I i thought was fun because i'm a social arb investor right so i i don't look at fundamentals i don't look at price but it was pretty evident to me i think it was back in early february that Doge was picking up momentum uh, on the radar of guys like Elon, and I didn't see that stopping. So for me, it was just a matter of time before these guys really pushed it and Doge popped, and and that's exactly what happened, right? You get guys like Cuban on board, and it's just a, it, it, it's the kindness coin, right? Like people people like Elon, they want to back it. It's fun, it's interesting in a crypto world that's really controversial. It's just something that people like talking about, right? And I knew that conversation would continue. I knew it wasn't tapped out back in February. So for me, it was a social art play on the momentum or the expansion of the Doge brand, the expansion of interest and just 
just curiosity. And that's that's essentially all that happened with Doge the last couple of months. Yeah. Talk so, about that social arb trade. Just go into that more because we had you on a few months ago and a lot of people really love Beyond Dumb Money. And I know you're a big fan of the social arb trade. How do you like, because you know, there's so much noise. I see so much noise in Twitter. When I go to Twitter, everybody's talking about everything. If you go and search your specific stock, you'll find a conversation about your stock. How do you decipher through the noise to find where the, you know, the real money is going to go next? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And listen, like, you know, we have a community now. I think we have about 40,000 social arb traders in our uh, Dumb Money Discord group. By the way, dumbmoney.tv is how you find all the channels that we have and stuff. And everything we do is free. Um, but social arb investing is all about detecting change early, right? So if you detect change early, that change could be in consumer behavior. It could be in culture. It could be in technology. And you connect that change to investable opportunities in the market. It's that simple. Uh, you invest when you find something that has an information imbalance and you exit the trade at information parity, meaning when the rest of the market has now fully appreciated the information that you discovered early. It's that simple. We don't look at price. We don't look at fundamentals. We don't look at anything other than that one piece of information. So all the market noise is exactly that. It's just noise. I actually don't watch any financial media for the most part, uh, because a lot of it for me is noise. I'm looking outside the market to discover these opportunities. Um, and, it, and it's really that simple. Uh, you know, that we got really heavy into the recovery trade. I think I was at close to 100% leverage uh, back in October, November, and I've stayed there pretty much until probably early March is when I started pulling some of the leverage down in all the recovery trades. You know, stocks like Spirit Air, right? Stocks were clearly, we were seeing an uptick. And I'm in Texas, so I think we're a little bit ahead of the rest of the country and for better or worse in terms of reopening. So you kind of feel it, right? You feel the reopening. You see it's actually happening. Um, those have been some good trades. They've gotten a lot harder over the past couple months to find reopening trades that aren't already fully valued, right? Or even beyond fully valued at their 2019 levels. So, um, you know, just to give you an idea, I've been moving a little bit away from some of the kind of obvious recovery trades to some of the less obvious trades. So the biggest holding in my portfolio right now uh, is Molson Coors. It's something I've talked a lot about the past month. It's had a really nice run. Uh, we'll see where it goes from here. They have six or seven things happening at the company. A few of them, I think, are super underappreciated by the market. Again, that's that information imbalance that we look for. Uh, they just released a couple weeks ago, uh, Topo Chico Hard Seltzer. And for those of y'all that don't know about like Molson Coors, it was probably the worst beer company the last four years, right? It was the last beer company to recognize the change that was happening from beer to hard seltzer, right? So you have Truly, you have White Claw just absolutely kicking their butt the last two years. So it's one of the recovery stocks. It's really trading below still their 2019 levels. So, you know, on the recovery side, you have the reopening and what that does to what they call on-premise sales. So on-premise sales for a company like Molson Coors is really important because they sell a lot of that Coors Light, that Miller Light on-premise, meaning at stadiums at bars, at restaurants around the world. Um, so you have kind of a natural recovery trade there that I think is underappreciated. But on top of that, you have two really big product releases. One is Topo Chico Hard Seltzer. 
you guys, you're in Detroit, right? You might not even have an appreciation for Topo Chico up there, right? Do you even no, know what that no. is? No. I don't, no. I don't, I don't even know. Okay. No. See, that's good. what I love. That, that's good. what I love. So, okay. So, Topo Chico is one of the few brands, and I love this. I love geographic bias, right? Like, like, like because of where you are and on the East Coast as well, a lot of people that are in the market don't fully appreciate that Topo Chico is actually one of the hottest brands in the entire world. I'll be honest, I've never even heard of it. I never heard of yeah, it. Yeah, it, 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 it's a LaCroix. It's, 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 basically, uh, okay. it, it, it's basically a fizzy water, okay. but it's more, it's more uh, fizzy than other fizzy waters. It comes out of Mexico, and it's a really, really cool brand. It's like the, one of the hottest brands in Texas. It started to migrate the other states the last couple of years. Coke actually bought the company out for a few hundred million dollars, I think, in 2019. Now, Coke doesn't have the licenses to in the u.s to easily push out an alcoholic drink so they actually licensed the rights to come out with topo chico hard seltzer and eventually ranch water to molson cores so molson cores has that license to manufacture and distribute and market topo chico hard seltzer in the u.s so what you guys are going to see over the next couple years this would be an interesting one for you to keep track of is you're going to see topo chico follow along the same routes as white claw same routes as as truly okay and again that's being underappreciated right now in the texas market it was released two and a half weeks ago and in some geographic areas it is the hottest the number one selling hard seltzer believe it or not so i actually did a store check um this last weekend and topo chico at this grocer was selling about nine times the volume as white claw the traditional market leader now again that's a very tiny specific market but that's what you're going to see as they start to kind of pull out regionally they're in 10 markets now in the u.s uh you'll start to see that grow and grow also we have the rocks uh zilla energy you probably are familiar with the energy drink market uh one of the largest out there you have monster at i think what 45 billion dollar market cap compared to some like cores uh, most cores at 10 billion uh i think that the Rock's new energy drink, Zoa Energy, again, exclusively distributed by Molson Coors, came out about five, six weeks ago here in the U.S., will be a top energy drink within six to 12 months. So, uh, listen, everything, anything that Dwayne touches turns to gold. Uh, he actually had the number one top-selling tequila uh, in 2019, um, or one of the top-selling tequilas, and that was actually producing more tequila in his launch year here in the U.S., uh, than George Clooney's tequila was selling the year that it sold. They got all that hype. So, again, you have a lot of things that are being kind of misunderstood by the market, and that's what we look for as social arbitrage. So, so just so I'm clear on, on Topo Chica, Coke owns it, Molson Coors licenses it. Uh, is is this a growth driver for both companies? Or or, or how does that work? It, it, it's, it's, it's not as big of a needle mover for Coke. Um, when you think about Topo Chico hard seltzer and just hard seltzer sales in general, um, it's not as big of a needle mover for Coke just because of the size of Coke, right? Molson Coors is a much smaller company. It's a $10 billion market cap company. This has the ability to be quite the needle mover for them. Uh, they're paying a licensing fee. They're paying a share back to Coke because Coke actually owns the Topo Chico brand. But again, has kind of said, hey, you guys can produce this here in the U.S., Coke actually produces it in other countries. Coke, of course, owns Topo Chico, the non-alcoholic 
right, Topo Chico, and they're manufacturing and distributing that in the U.S. I do think that has potential to be a needle mover for Coke over time. Uh, but I'm specifically talking about the hard seltzer here and the ranch water that follows, which you guys probably don't even know what ranch water is up in Detroit. No, you're right? from the regional. I don't know any of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, you, know you see, this, this is great. This is what, you know what this, snow this, is, Chris. It's snowed overnight. It. It's snowed overnight, man. Okay. So, again, again, guys, guys, ranch water, again, is one of the hottest drinks here in the South. I don't all right? So, ranch water is essentially tequila, okay, lime, and essentially bubbly water, Okay. So that's what ranch water is. And who owned, oh, who owned this? Who owns this? You can't own that. It's just a drink. It's like oh, drinking right. vodka soda, right? Okay, okay. So ranch water is basically soda, lime, and tequila. It. But it's like one of the high... So if you go on Google Trends and you look for ranch water, so you search it, you'll see the growth that ranch water has had over the past three years. But only in the South, right? People up North, you guys don't know what ranch water is yet. No, you no will clue. know what ranch water is because everything that starts... Think about Tito's. You know what Tito's is, right? Tito's vodka? Of course. Okay. Well, you say, of course, like seven years ago, six years ago, I was saying the same thing about Tito's. And I talked to guys up in Detroit and New York, like, Tito's? What the hell is Tito's? I'm like, you wait. Tito's is going to be one of the best-selling vodkas in the country. Like, what the hell are you talking about, Tito's? I'm like, everything that starts here takes over, okay, when it comes to that, when it comes to cultural movements related to alcohol it will take over, right? <laughs> the, we're seeing Tito's. You just haven't seen it yet, okay? So, yeah, you will see ranch water. It could be next summer, the summer after that. You'll be like, oh, my God, people are talking about ranch water at the bar. What the hell is this? You'll see it. So Topo Chico, in addition to the hard seltzer, is coming out with a, a canned pre-made ranch water. Got it. Um, they Got have it. a couple regional brands that are already some of the hottest um Again, can alcohol drinks down in Texas. Uh, one of them recently got acquired. But again, the, this is geographical bias, right? So it's something that you can see in certain markets that you can't see in others. Preferably, you can't see them in markets where Wall Street tends to trade, right? So in the Northeast, yeah. they haven't quite seen this yet. So they underappreciate it. They underappreciate the information. Got it. So Chris Camillo is pre-market preps alcohol correspondent joining us here this morning. Um, Chris, any any final thoughts before we go? We're about 10 minutes away from the open. Any final thoughts on? Uh, on listen, you know, uh, it, it, the recovery trade, there, there's still I think there's still opportunity. You know, it's, it's down, obviously, the last couple of days. Um, again, look at Google search. Look at what people are searching for. We have word combinations like beach resort um swimsuit these are hitting in some cases 10 year highs well what month are we in right we're in april we're not in june you, normally these words trend in june that's when they peak for the year they're not only peaking right now in april but they're peaking at 10 year highs so there are a number of companies in that space that i think are still huge opportunities some of the regional hotel providers, right? Some of the REITs that own a lot of those resort properties um, that I think are going to have the best two to three year period in the history of the company because we will see such an influx of people willing to pay a premium for beach resorts. Like I own a restaurant. We had a record week last week, the best week we've had in four years. The problem with the restaurant is I can't double my prices. I can't charge you double for a meal what I charged two years ago. But at a resort, you can essentially double the price that you would normally charge. And as long as that elasticity is there in demand, and I believe that it is, 
you can actually have a much better year in 2022 than you had in 2019 because of the elasticity of the demand and the ability to increase prices. That's why we're seeing the big move in companies like Avis that can charge $700 a day for an economy rental car right now because the demand is there and the supply is not. So you really have to look at parts of the recovery sector where companies can actually lever up and take advantage of the elasticity of demand great. that we're going to see the next two years. It's a great point. Chris Camillo is the host of Dumb Money on YouTube. He's at Chris Camillo on Twitter at Dumb Money on YouTube, dumbmoney.tv. Chris, always a pleasure, man. Uh, Thanks, I, man. I, I we'll go so live much. later today. We'll talk all about Topo Chico and Dumb Money, too. So, I, all right. I, better, I, I'll, I'll check it out. I learned so, we all just learned so much about alcohol here. So thanks, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate that. Um, all right. It is 920. We are 10 minutes away from the open. Dennis, I think you learned a lot. Joel, I know you learned a lot. We, we are all yeah, going go, to try ranch water, I think. We're all going to try ranch water. I don't know how we're going to. I mean, you think it's bad in Detroit that you get the stuff seven years later. In Canada, we get like 17 years later. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> it's yeah, Dennis Most is happy. Ranch water in the 2040s. We, Dennis, yeah, Dennis, what are you? You're happy if you get well water, right? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 was say, well water. I was gonna say we, we have a different kind of water in michigan but uh all right uh dennis and joel thanks a lot guys uh, joel i'll talk to you later um yep, okay all right it is 9 20 here let me just bring on guys first smash the like okay come on there was back-to-back amazing interviews dare i say some pretty good content from chris camillo and sean udall so smash the like button for us we really really appreciate that um that was that was some great stuff. I mean, if you want more of that, if you want if you want us to bring Sean on more, if you want us to bring Chris on more, we can do that. Um, I saw a few people saying that we should get Sean on more often. Uh, so smash that like, and uh, yeah, we we really do appreciate that. I, I want to bring Neil Hamilton on for a second here. He's the host of Get Technical, which is starting up in just a few minutes here uh, after this show. Neil, good morning. Have you ever tried a ranch water? Do you even do you know what that is? Go. Oh, yeah. uh, you probably do because you're like yeah i do i do that that's like on saturdays i I get um i use buttermilk ranch for it and then i I like to use it with still water just a little buttermilk ranch a little still water i yeah i've had it okay yeah i i guess is that is that it is that the drink no wait wait ranch like wait what are you talking we ranch dressing <laughs> I thought that's what we were talking about. Yeah, well, I think you got that, him there. That, that's what I would have assumed. Uh, I you know. set up Neil there. Yeah. Uh, so Neil is drinking a different kind of ranch water, apparently, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> you like own. that ranch water, Neil? He teaches their own, Neil. We, uh, you know, there's no. Right. I mean, how else are you going to get your daily? Your daily. Kind of yeah, no, I'm not a seltzer guy. I use warm still water, a little bit of ranch. How else are you going to get your daily ranch? It's it's a fair question. It's a fair question. With a little wings on the side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like to thin it up for a little <laughs> chicken dipping. Yeah. All right, Neil, what's what's on your radar today? Forget technical. Uh, what's on the radar today? So I'm looking at uh, everything that's pulling back right now. Um, checking uh, some some key support levels, l- using a little Fibonacci um, to see oh. if it's time to yeah time to yeah a little ranch water with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can't see my pickies up. Um, uh, looking at some levels to see if it's it's a good time to to grab some bounces. Um, we saw this with Ethereum. I want to show Ethereum. Ethereum had like two perfect like reversals. So the folks that bought that that bounce after that mount- meltdown, kudos to you. Kudos to you. That was a big profit opportunity. Those crypto tech nails. Techna- exactly. Crypto <laughs> tech nails, baby. <laughs> all right, Spencer, what do you got? Get re- rain us in, man. All right, all right, all right. I'll help out. I'll help out here, guys. I don't do so, that. 
Okay. If you guys want to go ahead, I know that we saw Sean on earlier today talking about maybe some SPACs. Today on SPACs Attack, we're going to be looking at long-term investments in SPACs. Where's the revenue? Where are the potential stocks? Go ahead and join us on SPACs Attack. That's going to be at 11. And of course, guys, check out tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern. Going to be doing a little bit of opening of some NFT packs. Uh, they got some tops. Mitch is going to open NFTs. Money Mitch, Money Mitch. We also got an interview with the great uh, Will Will Hershey's from Bets, you know, ETF. We're going to talk some sports betting. We're going to talk some story stocks. I got some Google Analytics for you. I got it all on that show, guys. So definitely don't miss out Money Mitch, 6 p.m. Eastern tonight. And then, of course, SPACs attack on later today. I, I, I got to agree with Chris. He, he mentioned one of my picks already, NGA. So just to give him a little shout out to, he, he did mention one of them already. So look forward right. to that. Neil, go do your show. Mitch, go do whatever it is that you, that you do at the open. Okay, thanks, Spencer. <laughs> and I, and I'll, I'll wrap it up here uh, on pre-market prep here. So um, I do want to mention also, guys, uh, tomorrow is the Clean Tech Small Cap Conference. Okay, so we're going to have pre-market prep in the morning. And after pre-market prep, everything is going to be preempted. Uh, so no, no get technical, uh, no SPACs attack, no, no power hour, uh, no crypto show tomorrow. The clean tech conference is going from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then after that, we will resume with our, with our, our shows that we have uh, in, uh, on Thursday evenings. Uh, I will be the MC. I am emceeing the conference tomorrow. So uh, I want to play a quick trailer that has information on how to attend tomorrow's conference. There you saw it. You got the CEO of Archie Moto. We've got the founder of Tesla Daily. We're talking EVs. We're talking solar. We're talking wind. We're talking everything within that clean tech umbrella all day tomorrow. BZSmallCap.com to learn more and sign up. Uh, and there is the link in the chat. Thank you very much. Okay. As a reminder, all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. You can catch this show as a podcast. It's on every major podcast platform, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, pro.benzinga.com. Enter the code YouTube20. It'll get you 20% off any Benzinga Pro subscription. Check that out. And... Um, Smash the like if you haven't already. We really do appreciate that. And that, and then, oh yeah, partner Benzinga.partnerstack.com. If you want to become a Benzinga Pro affiliate, send us new subscribers. Get thirty percent of uh, the subscription. Every new sub that you send us, you get thirty percent of that. Benzinga.partnerstack.com to do that. I'm sorry we didn't get to all your questions. I wrote a few of them down. Somebody asked about FTU. I I wrote it down. We'll get to that. On the At The Close Show. We'll get to way more of your questions on the At The Close Show. We we went a little long uh, today with, with Sean and Chris. It happens. There's a few other things that are on my list that we didn't even get to, but that's okay. So stay tuned. Uh, more SPACs coming on SPACs Attack. More Q&A on Get Technical and At The Close Show. I will talk to you guys later. And uh, Get Technical should be on right now. And this link should auto-forward straight to that. So I'm going to end this stream. It'll go straight to Get Technical with Neil Hamilton. Everyone have uh, have a good day. Good luck at the Open. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.